Hello, I'm Alex and this is the Northern Guide to Happiness. Welcome to episode nine. As always, I'm here in our virtual studio with the rest of the podcast team, Kath and Chris. How are we this evening? We're Absolutely good. fine. Yes. yes. Warm, warm and cosy in my mm. room. Warm and cosy. The weather's been outstanding the last uh, week or so, well, hasn't only it? Where Finally. Fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> Only where I've been, yeah, yeah, that's right. Have you been away, Alex? Yeah, I have. Do, do regale I, us I, with I... the stories of where you've been, you lucky person. My newfound freedom. Yeah. I got, I got sunburned on the Isle of Skye. I don't believe you. I've been to the Isle of Skye and it never stopped raining. There isn't, there isn't a sun on the Isle of Skye. <laughs> you, you get all four seasons in one day on the Isle of Skye, that's for sure. Mm. But yes, I was, I was up there... Um, for half term visiting my my parents who live up there looking after my uh 102 soon to be 103 year old granddad so uh, really i know i know the man's incredible um so yep up there visiting family um yeah it was great first time since last august took the girls up and the weather was yeah amazing um no filters needed on my instagram pictures (laughs) that's for sure (laughs) So it was great to be away. Yeah. What about you guys? What have you been up to? Uh, I was also north of the border. I went to visit my mum and my dad uh, up in Edinburgh, which was great. The first time since, well, yeah, first time for a long time. So it was nice. Just kind of hang out, do some jobs, meet some people, go to the beach. Where's the beach in Edinburgh? Uh, Well, Dunbar. uh, My brother lives in in East Lothian. So there there are beaches in Edinburgh. If you go down to Silvernows and Cramond, it's uh, okay. They're not. There's nothing top like of, sky. Top, but, of, top of Princess Street's about as far as I can. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they could have one of those artificial beaches like they've got in Newcastle. Could, they? could do. It would be quite handy, mm. actually, because I, I kind of got my diary mixed up and I needed to be in a, a Zoom meeting on Friday when I was out in the centre of town with my dad. Um, so I had, to, I had to join this conference planning meeting from the castle esplanade. <laughs> the sound of bagpipes. I could think of worst meeting rooms. Yeah, it was... I did get to show off a little bit. It was kind of like, Look, behind, look at my background, everybody. <laughs> no virtual backgrounds needed for you. Yeah, definitely. Oh, no. <laughs> what about you, Kath? What have you been up to? Well, it's a nice eventful week. Um, mm-hmm. Do you want me to? Do you want me to? <laughs> yes, yes. You, you've got some news to share. Share your news. <laughs> drum roll, please. Oh. Yeah, I think we do need a drum roll. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we've we've had a bit of a secret in our organisation for a couple of weeks because we've been awarded the Queen's Award for Voluntary Service Yay! and so recognition for the team, the volunteer team for all the work that they do, collecting lovely memories. And that's that's so remembering the past. Remembering the past. Remembering yes. the past. And amazing. We've yeah. had some media attention, which was really nice. <laughs> and a lovely article in the journal by Tony Henderson, who uh, it really gave us a nice, a nice uh, reception with it. So we'll have a party later on in the year, and uh, it just I feel it's a bit of a surreal experience. <laughs> <I'm great. laughs> and I'm so proud of you all. You've all worked so hard, <laughs> you know. And it's just yeah, it's a great organisation to uh, it to is, know it and is. yeah. yeah. Yeah, well done remembering yeah. the past. Yeah. Fabulous news. <laughs> On that happy note, shall we introduce this week's guest interview? This week, I had the pleasure of talking to Tom Corker, who is well known in Newcastle for running the popular student venue, the Trent House, uh, for about 25 years and also for establishing the nightclub world headquarters back in 2009. We had a great chat and he had some really interesting views on happiness. So enough of me talking. Here's Tom. Tom, a very warm welcome to the Northern Guide to Happiness. How are you today? I'm very well, thank you. Thanks very much for having me. Oh, thank you for saying yes. It's always exciting when we get people saying yes and happy to talk to us. So uh, (laughs) thanks for being here today. Um, I think a a few of our listeners uh, may have come across you um, in in the past, but um, for people who perhaps don't know who you are, would you mind just introducing yourself? Yeah, my my name is Tom Corker. Uh, A lot of people know me as Tommy. In the past, I was also called Tommy Trent because I ran the Trent House Bar on Lisa's Lane for 25 years and I run World Headquarters Club 
uh, down on Carlyle Square, which used to be down on Marlborough Crescent years ago, and I've run that for about 28 years. So I've been a, a figure in the nightlife and the licensing trade in the city for my whole life. I think I'm the longest serving licensee in the city at the moment. And I'm also, I th also, I think I still remain the city's only black licensee, which has uh, been interesting over the years with little run-ins with the police, etc. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yeah, so I, I'm kind of known on the nightlife scene and I'm known as someone who speaks his mind, stands up for racial equality and plays good records. That's my thing. I'm, I'm a music man, you know, that's my big deal. I'm into uh, black music very heavily and I collect it. And I share that with, I've shared that with the people of Newcastle and beyond for my whole life. When we had our pre-recording chat, I was highly impressed with the uh, display of records behind you. Is that something? Yeah, that's obviously something you're really passionate about. That isn't a display. That's my life. <laughs> no, I mean, it, it, I suppose the best way to describe it is records are my books. You know, mm -hmm. I have thousands and thousands of records, rooms full of records. You know, the history of house music, the history. Because I've been around for so long, I've been at the start of you know the red groove scene, the house music scene. When I was a young kid, I was really into the northern soul scene. And I've just obsessively collected records my whole life, sticking to the rules, which are buy all the records you want, borrow records off people and don't give them back and never lend records to anyone. <laughs> so I've ended up with <laughs> billions of records and that's loads and loads of vinyl. And that's really one of, one of my big one of my big deals. That's what sort of sets me apart. I've got all these records and I can dig into them and spend a lot of time with them. And I spend a lot of time in music and with music and a lot of my life. I make sense of my life and I gain happiness from my relationship with music and sharing that with other people. Can you tell, say a little bit more about that, that happiness that, that music brings you and sharing it with others? Yeah, I mean, well, obviously, with having the club for, for many years, I mean, for, for most of my adult life since the sort of mid-80s, every single weekend, give up maybe one weekend a year when I might go on a holiday, I'm playing records in Newcastle, usually for, you know, six, six, sometimes seven-hour sets of records. I'll play for 10 hours or more on New Year's Eve. And during that time, and I always play solo, and during that time, I, I sort of listen to the lyrics, and I'm really in the records, and I know the music, and I'm, it just gives me great pleasure. And there are some records which, uh, I know we're talking about happiness here, but they give me happiness because they bring me tears. Okay. Tune, tunes like Optimistic by The Sounds of Blackness or Wake Up Everybody by Harold Melvin and the Blue Notes. Really deep, deep records. If I, any, any time I put those records on at a club or anywhere, I always well up and cry. And sometimes it can be quite embarrassing when I'm playing records. I've got tears streaming down my face. But that, it makes me, what makes me happy about that is that the, the message in those records reminds me that I'm alive and that I'm human and that I'm lucky enough to be in a part of the world where I'm free enough to think what I like. And it just sort of, I don't know, that the sadness of the world comes to me and the fact that, that, that I'm able to sort of perceive all that and realise just how lucky I am to be in the position that I'm in in comparison to the majority of the world. It's sort of, that brings me happiness, you know, the fact that I can sort of feel the soul of, of the world through music and it brings yeah. me to tears. The fact that I'm that much in touch with myself gives me great happiness because, you know, I'm a human being and I live in a body and that's who I want to be. I don't want to be... Uh, just a member of society or a number on a sheet or a consumer i'm kind of the opposite of a consumer i'm a creator you know that's how i see myself so you, you mentioned there uh, um that you would do like seven ten hour sets yeah. you know was was that quite was it was it exhausting tiring exhilarating how did it feel oh it's, ex it's exhilarating it becomes an obsession you just do it every weekend that's what you do i mean obviously i haven't done it over lockdown but you know if, if it, take last new year's eve for example i went to i think it was wyland brewery at seven o'clock and i played at wyland brewery from seven till 11 and then i went straight down the club at 11 and i played at world headquarters from 11 till eight o'clock in the morning and that's a standard new year's eve for me and you just pack all your great records and you, all the people come and you play them. And it's just such a, such a connection. And sometimes you get so lost in the music that you just look up and it's over. You go, oh, it's over. Because <laughs> you're completely lost in the music. And it's almost like, it's not like you're performing for a crowd. It's like you, you just listen to the records that you love and put them in an order that's going to turn people on. And that's, it's almost like, like a sort of chess game or a Rubik's Cube. That you, you try and unlock the people. And I'll focus on one person in the crowd and say, right, I want to keep them dancing. And you sort of muse on different people in the crowd and you sort of get, build a relationship with them in your own head and you sort of go a little bit crazy but really long sets of records is something which is 
it's kind of like, I suppose, marathon running. Not a lot of people do it. People call themselves DJs and they play for an hour or two or three. But the, the marathon of it is a completely different discipline. And it's something I thoroughly enjoy, you know. It really does put me in touch with the world and the past and my future. And I spend a lot of time dreaming and reflecting while I'm playing records. And I take a lot of, because of the sort of stuff I play, uh, you know, it's all a lot of it's soul music and it has really uplifting words. So I take mm -hmm. a lot of happiness from the words and direction from those things, you know. It, it centres me, you know. It sounds uh, similar to that, what you've described there about the crowd. We, we interviewed uh, somebody at the very start of our project last year um, called Paul Kell, who performs in a band called Elvana, which is Elvis-fronted Nirvana. They've, oh, right. Uh, I've heard of them. Yeah, they've, yeah. they've got a real following. And yeah. uh, he was saying that he gets pleasure out of performing, but he then also gets happiness joy pleasure from seeing the crowd enjoying the performance so that sounds like a similar thing with with djing perhaps no it, it's very similar it's, it's re obviously you don't get to to speak to people as much because you're sort of removed a little bit because you're playing because you're playing records but you know the, the fact that you're playing great music and you do it consistently in the city if i sort of walk through walk through town i always know people people, people always come to me who i don't know and talk to me about music <laughs> so I, you do know you're reaching people and you know you have to believe in what you're doing and, and you believe in what you're doing and you, and you, you do what you do and some people get it and the people who get it really get it and it's nice that people can enjoy it and that you can turn them on to music they maybe wouldn't know and it's also it's important as well it's important for me I, I, as a black man that I am a positive role model you know, mm -hmm. I, I don't sort of play, you know, sort of slack records which disrespect women or, you know, have racial slurs in them. I avoid all that. I just yeah. only play positive music because I want to try and use music to heal people and bring people together racially and across the generations. That's always been my aim, you know. I want to try and make the world a better place one record at a time. <laughs> as, as pompous as that may sound, that is actually what my entire life's, working life's been about. That sounds like a good mission to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's all right. <laughs> is, is happiness something that you think about much do you think about happiness yes i do i think about happiness a lot because there's a sort of yin and yang of it i think about unhappiness a lot as well i mean i, mm. I assume that most of the world is unhappy due to unfairness the, the history of societies colonialism the self-interest of government that's all stacked the game against the majority of the population human population of the world you know if you look at the covid situation in india at the moment you know there's no happiness mm. there yeah. so I, I think about that and so i, I have to you have to find a way to find happiness, your, your personal happiness. And I have certain things that, that make me happy that I really focus on. And th that's why I am, I suppose, generally a happy guy because I, I focus on the things I know will make me happy. And uh, they are numerous. I mean, there's, you know, uh, all sorts of stuff makes me happy, you know, but it, it's I'm fa fairly simple. I say all sorts of stuff. There's not too much makes me happy. There are certain things that make me really happy. Uh, for example, dogs. Uh, I, I'm a dog guy. I've always had dogs my whole life. You know, I've had dogs when my kids were born. I had Joyce, the, the German pointer. I had Ronnie, the pharaoh hound, who was with me for 10 years. I've got little Kobe, the, the cockapoo now. And I've just always got different dogs. And I have a really strong relationship with my dogs. And I love to see them run. I love to take them out. And I think that in terms of happiness, that I see them as a connection to nature and the sort mm. of ca caveman thing. Like, if you go back in time, there were humans you know, living in little settlements. And once they lived in settlements, they had dogs. And the settlements that had dogs would survive and prosper because the dogs would warn them if anyone was coming to raid them. And the settlements that didn't got raided out of existence. So humans and dogs, there's such a long relationship and a symbiotic relationship. And having a dog with me, even though I don't need to have a dog, it gives me a happy, it keeps me in touch with that caveman thing. It keeps me feeling natural and reminds me I'm an animal, you know, and, and that makes me happy because, you know, you know, we are nothing more than great apes, you know. I know we think we're really sophisticated but we're not really we're quite basic creatures we just we exist on our needs and one of those is for friendship and I think that dogs give me a great deal of that so I extract a massive amount of happiness from from dogs and I am I'm ludicrously involved with the dogs that have been in my life you know I've got a massive massive picture about a five foot picture I had commissioned of my last dog Ronnie who died a couple of years ago that's up in my up in my front room and I talk to it every day and that kind of thing you know I'm kind of I'm on that sort of tip you know I get happiness from that you know, the, the relationship I have with animals. 
I love that you you had dogs called Joyce and Ronnie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> our our, our neighbours have got a dog called Roy, and I just think yeah. it's just brilliant, brilliant name for a dog. Roy the dog, fabulous. Yeah. Joyce they, and Ronnie. They, they tend to kind of name themselves. You know, you look at them and think, oh, you know, she's a Joyce, and, and you know, and, and they kind of name themselves. So, I, I, so I do love, I do love dogs. That that's one thing that's given me great happiness. But there are many other things. I mean, just, just going back to music. Again, mm. uh, I'm really, I get a lot of happiness from musical genius. You know, not the stuff you hear on the radio, but proper musical genius like John Coltrane, Miles Davis, Herbie Hancock, Frank Zappa, Joni Mitchell, artists like that who are massively deep and, and create a massive body of work. I mean, I, I'm so deeply involved with Joni Mitchell. It is ridiculous. I feel like she's my <laughs> mum and my girlfriend. It has been my whole life. You know, I, I know all the albums inside out and the, because that degree of art, when it's done that well, there's, and, and it, it Encourages you to know yourself and understand women, that kind of thing. It, 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 it I'm obsessed with that a little bit. Uh, when I was a little boy, uh, my parents divorced when I was nine, and I ended up living with my dad. And I didn't see my mum again until I was 17 or 18. So I sort of during my adolescent period, I didn't have any because I had like loads of brothers. I had like five brothers or still six brothers, including stepbrothers eventually. And so I didn't have very much female feminine influence. Mm -hmm. So during my sort of uh, teenage years. So I became, when I was a younger guy, absolutely obsessed with females. I just found them so entrancing and had like, you know, loads and loads of girlfriends and you know, you'd, have, you'd have about 19 different girlfriends on the go because you're just trying to find one. And I was mm. so confused and I was so young and I was, you know, I had, I had my keys to a bar and I had access to drugs and I was just, you know, I was a crazy kid, you know, just a, a, a crazy kid. And I've, but I know, I've kind of got to know myself now and now I'm and through Joni Mitchell's music and the happiness that's given me it sort of made me understand females and now I'm a steady girlfriend kind of guy you know I mean obviously I'm a lot older now and I have had periods in my life when I've had really great meaningful relationships but when I haven't been in relationships I've tended to be like a scatter I've been all over the place you know and it's nice to be settled I, I like that settledness and I wouldn't have that if it hadn't been for the sort of and that happiness I have in my relationship now if it hadn't been for the influence of Joni Mitchell as a sort of mother figure and inspiration and, and just she's brought me so much happiness that woman I, I can't put it into words I feel like I feel like I feel like I know her you know <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah fabulous fabulous so you've mentioned music and 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 dogs there what else brings you happiness then Tom uh, well there's all sorts of other things I mean music's music's been, been a massive one but I suppose the thing which has which I, if I can say happiness isn't a given you know I don't see happiness as a given I think happiness mm -hmm. is something which you have to work at and I have worked at being happy really really hard I mean I, I go to therapy every week with my friend Julie and I've been going to therapy with over the course of my life probably for about 25 years and it's one of those things where people go, what, you got a therapy for 25 years? What's wrong with you? <laughs> and uh, there was a lot wrong with me. <laughs> you know, I, I came up in a very, uh, like I said, I had a very, very uh, unhappy childhood. And I sort of left home at 16 with two pence and made my way in the world. And that's, and you know, so I did all, all kinds of jobs, all kinds of hustles. And eventually music was what led me through that. But the reason I got a therapy is, and the reason why it brings me happiness, is if I can try and, I'll try and describe it for you. Uh, I think that your head or my head, it's a bit like having a bedroom and you've got all the clothes that you wear and every time you wear them, you just throw them on the floor in a pile. And when you walk in the room eventually after many years, it's just a massive mess. Inside your head is just a mess with bits of your life everywhere. And when I go to therapy, I just talk and I hear myself speak and I hear the things that I actually think. I hear the opinions I hold. It's like I'm talking to Julie, but I'm talking to myself. And it's as if I pick up each dirty garment off the floor. I wash it. I iron it. I fold it and I put it in a drawer where I know where it is. And I've done that for so many years that now when I walk into my own head, it's perfectly ordered. I know where all my memories are. I know where everything is. I know the things that have challenged me. I know the things I'm afraid of. I know what my strengths are, my weaknesses, because I've invested that time in being really honest and brave and getting to know myself and dealing with my childhood issues and trying to trying to trying to make myself into a man. You know, I think I'm not mm. someone who just became a man. I made myself into one through really 
being really hard on myself and sticking to that thing of going to therapy and speaking honestly and, and you know, and believing what I heard myself say. Sometimes, you know, you, you talk to other people and, uh, and, and well, your friends and you've got issues with them. It, it, it'd be a beer that you're close or whatever. It's nice to talk to someone who isn't your friend and just you really get to hear yourself speak. So I think therapy is something which has really helped me get my hands around happiness. And I have happiness, you know, firmly in my, I'm hugging it tight now, you know, that's how, that's how I feel, you know. <laughs> How would you describe happiness then? You, I, I, I liked that kind of analogy of the, of the therapy of sort of tidying up your bedroom floor. Yeah. How would you describe happiness then? Happiness is very simple. Happiness, if you, if, if you, if, if you put your hands up in the air now as if you're going to clap, then your left hand is who you are and your, who you actually are. And your right hand is who you would like to be. And happiness is your ability to, over the course of your life, to get those two hands as close together as you can so that by the time you die, well, hopefully before you die, they're touching, you know. And at some points in your life, you know, you can clap and you have a happy moment. You go to a party, you clap, but your hands go back apart again. You know, who you want to be and who you actually are aren't together and unless you work at it some people spend their whole life you know uh, you know and and, they, and who they actually are they never actually get that because they end up being who society wants them to be or who they feel other people want them to be you know this sort of you know that their instagram influencers tell them to keep their hands apart and i'm not mm. about that I, I like that thing of happiness is getting us those two hands together who you want to be and who you actually are if you can make those two things merge then you're a happy person i think so, so Tom's two hands then, who, who is Tom and who do you want to be? Where, how would you describe those two things? Uh, okay, uh, who is Tom? Uh, but there's the, you know, the, 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 there's Tom, Tom the DJ, Tom the, the, the businessman, Tom the, the sort of, you know, uh, sort of, you know, moan around about racial equality. <laughs> there's the sort of Tom who people perceive me as. And really with me, I'm really, I'm quite a simple guy. Physical fitness is important to me. And I've let that slip a bit over lockdown, but I'm going to be going right back into that. And I, I, I think I, a few of us have. Yeah, I wouldn't worry too much about that. Yeah, <laughs> but, but I, I'm going to get it back. But, but in terms of yeah. who, who I want to be, I want to be someone who's fair, who is balanced and someone who is not run by society. Someone with his own opinions. I want to be able to look back on my life and take pride in the things I've done. So I don't want to do bad things or Im- things I think is immoral. I want to keep my moral compass, the things that I believe in. And I want to be someone who always speaks up when 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 it when it's necessary i don't want to be someone i'm not someone who just rolls along and, and, and won't speak out i'm very vocal in my political opinions and my opinions about race and fairness and equality and uh, i'm very active with that and so i suppose i'm just someone who'd want like i said i just want to improve the world one record at a time i'd like to think the world would be a better place when i leave it than when i came into it but i'm not sure that would be the case <laughs> Certainly, the world around me is. I mean, if I look at as a microcosm of that, if I look at say World Headquarters Club, which I've built over over so many years, I've got a real pride and happiness in that, and that is very much a reflection of me. In that, when I was a kid, there was nowhere for me to go. I couldn't really mm. get in clubs, etc. You know, as a black person in Newcastle, you got a lot of racism from doormen and the police. So I eventually, you know, over time, built my own little culture at World Headquarters, which has grown and grown and grown, and now encompasses all kinds of musical genres, and it stayed for the kids. I haven't let it get old. I haven't aged it as I've aged. I've kept, by working with young people, I've kept it for young people. So in that way, I feel that World Headquarters as a, thing, as a microcosm, it has improved. That has improved Newcastle as, as for young people. It, it, Newcastle is better for young people now than it was when I was a kid. And one of the reasons for that is because of World Headquarters. And I'm really proud of that. So I think you can't necessarily change the whole world. But the mm. bit of the world you can change, it's important that you stick to your principles and you don't get led by the dollar. You know, you don't want to be just do something for money. You know, oh, that's awful. I don't like the the whole... I mean, obviously, you have to live in a commercial society, but money doesn't make me happy. That money is not, money is not wealth. You know, uh, wealth is creating opportunities for other people and trying to make the society you live in a better place. So I think who I am is someone who's obsessed with all that sort of stuff. <laughs> That's who I am. And be, and I'm perfectly happy to be that guy, you know, as complicated as that may make me at times. I, I'm very happy in my own skin, you know. I believe in what I'm doing and I'm going to keep doing it, you know. Is happiness something that you've noticed or unhappiness? You sort of mentioned there that you, you know, you had a, an unhappy childhood. There's been times when you've, you've, you've not been happy, times that you have been happy. Is, is feeling happy or not feeling happy something that you've noticed throughout your life? 
uh, I think unhappiness and, and sort of dissatisfaction and being outside of society when I was a, a child and a teenager, you know, I was a real outsider and I'm still an outsider. You know, I, I am an outsider and like World of Cutters is a club for the outsiders. So I've had a lot of unhappiness when I was younger, but as I've got older and I've really worked at it, I've kind of, you know, I've kind of carved out my own little niche of who I am. And I'm, I'm happy now. I'm very comfortable with who I am. I'm very comfortable with the things I do. But like I say, it, it, it isn't something that just comes to you. Happiness for me has had to be something I've had to really work at, you know, and, mm. and I have worked at it really hard. And, I, and there's no doubt about it that I, I, am, I feel happy now. I mean, obviously, COVID's been a bit of a strain, but it doesn't really affect my happiness, you know. I think that ability to uh, separate myself a bit from society. So you've got society and what you see on TV and the news going on in one place. And I can dip into that. You know, I can watch the demise of Donald Trump and thoroughly enjoy it. But <laughs> I try not to get over obsessed with it. So, you know, so I, can, I can then step away and be myself and go out with my dog or, you know, put on a jazz album and, and have that sort of counterpoint. So I'm not, owned, I'm not owned by society. I step in and out of formal society when I want to. And the rest of the time, I'm very happy in my own skin, just doing my own thing, you know, pursuing the things that I like, you know. You you refer to yourself as an outsider. Yeah. What what did you what did you mean by that? Uh, well, when I was a kid, I was an outsider. I mean, I came up in the seventies. Uh, comprehensive school system and you know the only the only black kids in the school was me and my brothers then two of my brothers went to a different school so I had a mm. lot of racial hassle when I was a kid and when I first got the Trent House back in the 80s I had a lot of racial hassle then with people putting the mm. windows out and darky this darky that and I've had to uh, I've had to sort of deal with challenge that and, and so that it, my own children won't have to go through that and so that's kind of that, that Although it made me unhappy at the time, and it made me feel like an outsider. Uh, if you're an outsider, you're only an outsider if you want to be in. You know, if you want to be in society and you want to be in, then you become an outsider if you're not in there. So what I did was the alternative was I just built my own little society with the, <laughs> with the club and the bar. I kind of, I kind of got this idea of the, the best way to describe it is, it says it on our website, when I was a kid, I didn't really fancy the things that seemed to mean a lot to other people. So what I did was I just shot my arrow up in the air and I just drew a target around where it landed. And I sort of, so, so, okay. so yeah, that yeah. was, you know, so, so who, who I, you know, that, that's what I did and that's what I've done. And that target has been the Trent House, it's been World Headquarters, it's the home I live in, it's everything I do. So I sort of chose not to be part of the thing that didn't want me. And I made something that wanted me and wants other people like me that now has a life of its own. You know, World Headquarters is a big old institution in the city now. You know, it's one of the it top, really one of the top yeah. clubs in the country. And, you know, we attract a massive international DJ, you know, all races and all genders and everything. And, and everybody really gets it and it's really kept its message that, you know, this is somewhere for the outsiders. This is not, although it is part of Newcastle nightlife, it's evolved completely separately because I've never been, you know, I've never been to any of the clubs in town because I deliberately don't go because I want to have that tunnel vision. So World Headquarters is almost like visiting a different country and that country is, is based on that target where my arrow landed when I was a kid, you know. <laughs> so that, that's being an outsider. You're only an outsider until you build a society around you, you know, and, and there's a whole culture around the club and around my ideals of, of of racial inclusion and you know and sexual sexual equity that kind of thing and now there's lots of young kids I mean generations you know people who come to the club now many of them are the children of people who used to come and they are children who are now having children of their own so it's a, it's a generational thing and in that time you, you you do get changed there's young promoters I work with now who've only ever known a club like World Headquarters you know not like me when it wasn't there it's been there and so it's influenced them and it's made them feel more inclusive and they you, you the values that I hold dear are shared with other people you know and it gives people who who feel uh, that they don't want racism etc etc somewhere to go people who think that you know art, art has value and it doesn't have to be measured in terms of money it gives them somewhere to go and when they go there they meet other like-minded people and that's what forms a culture and that's what changes a city over decades which is why I've been doing it for decades because it takes <laughs> it takes that long to make a change <laughs> yeah yeah you, you talked about you know world headquarters becoming a place for young people to go um how do you feel about Newcastle as a city it's obviously you know you've you've hung around all your life it's obviously a place that you um you love, I presume. You know, what, what do you think of Newcastle as a city? I really like Newcastle. Uh, 
I think because I'm so invested in it, you know, I, I think it's, I like the fact that it's small enough to ride across on your bike in 20 minutes. I like the <laughs> fact that, you know, that, that really everyone knows everyone. If anyone comes up to Newcastle, you, you always know someone who knows them. So It's the, really a village, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, everyone a, knows somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I think that it, it's got, a, it's always had a very, very strong mainstream. Even back in the 80s, the mainstream sort of nightlife was always really, really strong. And because it's got such a song, sort of Geordie Shaw mainstream, there's room for a really strong underground as well you know, as a counterpoint to that. And that's what World Headquarters represents, I think, to the, the sort of children who, who, young people who got, who don't want to necessarily have to wear high heels or boys shave their chest or whatever, or get absolutely, you know, whacked out on beer. The people who want to be into music and who want to just be who they are and people who are sort of fi- outsiders who are finding themselves. And I think World Headquarters is a place that allows them to do that, where other more sort of, you know, commercially led places where you know you have to look a certain way to get in that sort of place that there's now an alternative to that so i think that newcastle as a city there is now a nice balance which there wasn't back in the 80s but there's a nice balance you know and also it's a good quality of life for you you know if you've got a dog the beach is you know 10 minutes up the road you know the countryside is 10 minutes you jump in your car it's 10 minutes 10 minutes the other way so you've got everything you want here and if you go a bit further the beaches up in Northumberland, beautiful so you can you know, it's not like living in London. I mean, my daughter lives in London and she loves it. She absolutely loves it. And she always says, Newcastle's too primitive for me. That's what she says. <laughs> and I kind of get oh, it. I kind of get it. Because, because, because she's in her 20s and she wants that big city vibe, you know. But I'm not, I'm not in my 20s. I'm in my 50s now, you know. And I want quality life. And I want, you know, I want, I want, I want different things, you know. So I, 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 what, what, she, what she doesn't see in Newcastle, she will see in her later years, you know. But, I, but I, I see it now. And I think it's a very special place. And it's somewhere that I... You know, I, I, it's very, very dear to my heart, Newcastle. I think, I think to all Geordies, it's it's one of those things when you, you know, when you, you've gone out in London to see a show and you come back and you you come across the Tyne Bridge on the train and you, you know, you, you, there's just a feeling that everybody from Newcastle gets w- when they come across that bridge and they see the city. Yeah. And I don't know why, yeah. but you just feel it. That sort of there's something about Newcastle that is, I think, a bit special, and 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 that's why I don't move from here. You know, that's why rather than, you know, as an outsider, you know, move away when I was a kid, I thought, no, I'm going to stay here and try and change it for the better. I'm I'm the exact opposite of your daughter in that I left London at 18 and came to Newcastle and, and never looked back. So <laughs> <laughs> I did the opposite. And yeah, you're, you're right. Yeah, there's there's something about coming over the Tyne Bridge, isn't there? As if you've been been on the train or if you're in the car seeing the angel. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly, on, exactly. On the angel. Back, yeah. it, 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 that, that makes you happy. That's when I feel a little, you feel almost like a little adrenaline rush. And you're like, oh, you've been on a long journey and, and you come back and you're like, oh, that's, feel, it feels good to know you're home, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Tom, you've you've kind of touched on this already with the sort of reference to social media, but do external factors affect your happiness levels? Uh, well, only if you let them. You know, if I if I you know want to get say for example the, the death of George Floyd and what played out with that. Obviously, mm-hmm. I mean I, I watched every second of the George Floyd trial. I became very heavily you know emotionally invested and involved in it. You know, I, I'm I'm you know I'm really worried about what the sentence is going to be. You know, because it, it and, and that sort of thing. I can't help that. I'm a black man. I, mm-hmm. I, I can't help that. So I have to. I feel that. So that sort of thing. Sometimes it can be a real emotional and mental strain and usually when I feel that it's around race or issues like Donald Trump or things when it's about unfairness I do really feel it and emotionally it has a real takes a real toll on me and it's at times like that when you know jazz music is great where you know Northern Soul is I can step away from that so I things like external factors they, they do definitely influence me but only as much as I let them and it's only things that I'm really concerned about that I really you know study deeply and really want to understand and things that make me angry you know I try not to be angry but the George Floyd thing made me so angry and I think it made a lot of people a lot of people felt yeah. this felt the same way there was a real emotional toll taken just in the way people behaved on social media afterwards and things like that so social media can be something which can warp people's heads and I feel sorry for young people today that they've got this massive influence on their lives and that's why I think uh, music is more important than ever to give you somewhere to go where you can get away from that where you can gather your thoughts and hear the thoughts of other people who who you know who, who are not involved in that you know you can you can have a moment in time where you can take take a literal step back 
from society as it's displayed to you. Because there's no doubt about it. Social media, the government, the whole idea is we're going to bombard you with bad news so you'll just sit in your house buying things on your credit card that you can't afford and the big companies will get rich. They'll pay the, they'll pay the government off and they'll just be a load of, few people get richer and richer and richer and everybody else will become a mental slave. That is the idea of society at the moment and I resist that at every turn. I want to see freedom. I want to see independence. I want to inspire young people to believe in themselves and I want them to take time out to dream and think and get into music and develop their own ideas and develop their own sort of countercultures. You know, more, you know, will they cut as a successful sort of counterculture is an example to other people that yes, you can do it, you know. And it's also an example that, you know, that, you know, uh, you know, black people don't just have to, you know, deal drugs or be involved in sport. You know, I'm a successful black businessman and I'm outspoken and, uh, and, and I'm proud and I'm respectable, you know. I'm not someone who you're going to see, you know, involved in a scandal because I won't get involved in a scandal because it, it, it's really important that guys like me succeed, you know, because I, mm -hmm. I have to be a role model to other kids because the, the only role models I had as a kid were people like Muhammad Ali, you know, and there ain't no Muhammad Ali's out there now. <laughs> you know, I suppose LeBron James is pretty good, but there's no one really as strong as that. So it's important that as we stand on the shoulders of people like Muhammad Ali, that you carry on in a way that Muhammad Ali would, would approve of. And I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm a sort of child of him, you know, if I had to sort of my virtual parents or Muhammad Ali and Joni Mitchell, and I don't want to do anything that pisses off either of them, you know, <laughs> they're both to be proud of, <laughs> proud of the things I do, you know. That's a great combination. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, they brought me up right. <laughs> <laughs> Have there been any um, standout moments in your life, you know, particular happy moments that really stand out for you? Oh, God, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the birth of my children, Buster and Sunshine, the birth of my children was just amazing. When my, when my, my son was born first, when he was born and he went from being the bump to being this little baby, I just couldn't <laughs> believe it. I was, you know, my legs were wobbling. And it, I mean, I think it's the same for everyone. When you, when you see a, a, a birth, it just blows your mind. It blows your mind. So, I mean, that was standout. I mean, there are things like, uh, you know, business-wise, there, there are some sort of business things that I, I sort of feel, feel ah, I shouldn't really, have, shouldn't really have enjoyed that quite so much. But there, there, there was a time when the police tried to prevent me from getting a 5am licence at World Headquarters and they made up loads of lies about me. They said that my club had a history of crime and disorder and all this sort of stuff they made up because they didn't want us to have a later license. And, they, you know, they just didn't because they were racist or whatever. And we took them to court. Uh, no, no, sorry, they took us to court to try and stop us getting this licence. And we absolutely wiped the floor with them. So much so they had to pay pay my costs, pay for my barrister. Because, I mean, the whole story's up on our website. They had to pay our barrister. And I remember coming out of that courtroom thinking, yeah, this is a good day, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so I felt really, really happy that day. Because, I mean, over my life, I've had a great deal of hassle from the police for, for, mm -hmm. for, for the colour of my skin. You know, I mean, as recently as a couple of years ago, uh, I had my front door nearly kicked in by the police and they, you know, really badly abused me uh, and assaulted me. And when I made a complaint, it went absolutely nowhere, as it, as it never does if you're a black person complaining about abuse, it went nowhere. And they just said, oh, sorry, we got the wrong address, you know? Oh, my God. And that was that. And, and that, that's as recently as, as two or three years ago. So throughout mm -hmm. my life, I've had a lot of hassle with the police. So the days when, you know, they've actually told a lie about me and I've taken them on and publicly whooped them and got my costs, that was a great day. <laughs> no doubt about that. But I mean, there's, there's lots of lots of other little things. I mean, I suppose one of the happiest days was when we did the Unity Festival in 2015. Me and my friend Danny and a bunch of our other friends from the trade unions got together and put on a, a big anti-racist festival in Lisa's Park. And that was a direct response to the fact that the EDL were handing out flyers at the monument and we kind of wanted to bring everyone together. And we thought, oh, we'll get a couple of thousand people. And we ended up getting like six, 8,000 people in the park. And it was just, it was the biggest ever political uh, event that's ha ever happened in the city, in the history of the city. And it's 2,000 or 3,000 year history. And to be involved in that and bring everyone together on that day and do it all from donations and all the work that everybody involved put into it, to be a part of that was something really, really special. And I think that uh, was a, a, one of the things in my whole life that I'm most, most proud of being involved with working on that team and being a part of bringing that together, you know. 
how did that feel? You know, thinking that you might get a couple of thousand and then getting, you know, three, four times that turning up. How, it, it was, how did that feel? It was great on the day, but like all happiness, the greatest happiness comes after struggle. And it was such a struggle to get it because we had no money. We had absolutely no money. So what we did was, as World Headquarters, I underwrote it so that if, it, if we didn't manage to make any money, I, I said I would stand the loss personally. And me and the team and, and the whole committee, we went out and raised money. We got donations from the trade unions. Kids would walk up to me in the street and give me 20 pound notes and we sold lollipops in the club and over a six month period we actually raised i think i think we almost broke even we're about a tenner under breaking even on a budget of about 50 60 grand for this one day and you know we had to, we had to get the council on side we had to you know had to put call in every favor from everybody you know and luckily in my life i, I I'm, I'm kind of old school so my life runs on favors if someone asks me to do them a favor <laughs> and i can do it i'll always do it so with decades of doing that loads of people owe me favors so we were able to get the sound system cheap pull them all in pull, pull them all in for that one day <laughs> and so when it was such a massive success i remember turning around to danny who i was doing it with him. we just couldn't believe it come off that way and it was so peaceful and wonderful and it was so political you know it wasn't in any way sanitized the artists we had it was you know it was a festival an anti-racist festival and it was exactly what it said on the tin and and, and you know eight it's six to eight thousand people in the city were down with us and it was such a show of force uh, for, for equality at a time when the city really needed that and uh, i think I, I'm, I'm very very proud of being involved in that that was a, a, certainly a high point in my working life you know fabulous sounds sounds great and what do you this sounds might sound like a silly question, but what did it achieve? What do you think it achieved that that event? Uh, it's it, it was a public display of unity. It um, it it sort of politicised quite a lot of young people, and it made young people who come to World Headquarters realise, you know, the World Headquarters. You know, I actually used World Headquarters as a tool to underwrite that festival because it was the right thing to do. And people saw me doing that and they and they take inspiration from that. And it made them feel more like it, it, the idea is to make people feel like it's OK to stand up. You know, it, it just because a few racists want to bring you down, you know, you have to sometimes you need to have. You, I suppose unity, you know, and coming together in unity in that way. I think it achieved a, a, a has it got a lasting legacy? I think it has got a lasting legacy because people keep asking me to do it again all the time. <laughs> you're going to do it again, you're going to do it again. And, uh, and, but I think it has a lasting legacy. It had an effect on the people who attended it because they'd never seen Newcastle in that light. Like everyone felt like like me and Danny felt. You're walking down the monument, some kid's handing you a leaflet saying, you know, donkeys out, immigrants out, la, 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 la. And you would see that every time you walk down past the monument on a Saturday. But on this Saturday, you saw six to 8,000 people doing the exact opposite. And people of all races, all ages, all gender, coming together as one in a completely peaceful event that just blew everyone's mind so it's hard for me because I'm so close to it to know what its lasting impact was I'm just glad it happened you know and to have been a part to have been a part of it and it's funny that uh, one of my biggest you know one of my the things that's made me happiest in my working life is something I made absolutely no money from. <laughs> there's a there's a lesson there. Money doesn't equal happiness, you know. <laughs> well, I was, I was going to say you said you know earlier on in the interview, you know, being rich, money doesn't does, isn't wealth, doesn't bring you happiness. No, no, so, you know, uh, you know, that, that kind of facts that up. Wealth is physical fitness and mental resilience. You know, you have to work hard at knowing who you are. You have to get those two hands together, who you'd like to be and who you actually are. You've got to try and get those hands together, and that is what will make you really happy. You know, looking like someone off Instagram is not going to make you happy. It's Even if you look exactly like them, it's actually making you unhappy and it's detrimental to your mental health, you know. You have to decide who you want to be. You know, shoot your arrow up in the air and draw a target around where it lands like what I did. That's That would be my advice. And that may, that may not work for everybody, but if you feel like you're an outsider and you can't participate, you can participate. Just You can participate with yourself and people like you. I love that target idea, you know, rather than trying to aim for the target. Yes, create your own target. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. The, tar- the target is where you want to go. That's where your target is, you know. Yeah, yeah. So do you have any tips then for people listening? Tips? In terms of <laughs> tips, hints, tips. Tips. Uh, you know, what? how do you maintain positive mental well-being? Is there anything that you do that you think would be useful for somebody else to try? Uh, well, the, the things I've mentioned, you know, uh, uh, taking taking the time and, and affording myself the luxury of regular therapy. So I'm regularly talking about the things that concern me in a way, in, in a format whereby I can learn from them and I can process them. And, you know, like I say, it's going back to that thing I said about the room, 
anyone listening to this now, if you think about the room inside your head, it may well be for many of you that it is a room with clothes scattered everywhere that you haven't worn for years, you know. You've got to pick it up one shirt at a time and fold it away. My other one would be, bear in mind that you live in your body and your body's really important. I had major surgery last year for a, 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 I found this massive growth inside me and I thought it was cancerous, but it wasn't. It was just one of those lipomas, like off that Dr. Pimple Popper program. And so, oh so, so I had, but I had a cut me just before lockdown, but I had six months of thinking I might be dying of cancer. And that really altered my perspective. And now I've got a great big, it looks like I've been attacked by a shark. I've got a massive scar, but I'm so happy that it was benign and they took it out. And I think that realizing that you live in your body and physical fitness and well-being is really important. So mental fitness and physical fitness are important. So if you're not physically fit, you know, take a walk, get a dog, do a little more activity. Don't just, you know, uh, comfort eat or, you know, or, 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 or allow your relationship with food to be messed up, you know take time to take care of your body because you're going to live in it your whole life and you know like people say like life is life is short life isn't short life is long especially if you make the wrong decisions so uh, taking care of your mental well-being and your physical well-being if you can do those two things then that's a good start to, to eventual happiness although both of both of them can be really challenging facing up to your mental demons can be challenging and facing up to sort of loads of cardio can be challenging too <laughs> but if you, if you are if, if you're in a position to do that you've got a quite a good chance of being happy i think you know well they sound like great uh, pearls of wisdom there and you know i suppose you could always tell the grandkids that it, it really was a shark bite <laughs> yes well i, I might i might well <laughs> <laughs> that's the kind of thing I will, probably will do actually I'm, I'm one of those people who when I'm a granddad I've got, I'll, I'll be one who pretends to be dead at the Christmas dinner table all the time and jumps up I'll be that kind of granddad you know <laughs> well thank you Tom for your time today it's been an absolute pleasure hearing your stories um, I feel that there is a autobiography in there somewhere it feels like uh, there's there's enough material there to write a good a good book so uh maybe that's something to try well we'll, we'll see about that <laughs> I, I don't know about that i think we've, <clears throat> the, the sort of story of most of my work life is up on the club's website on the we love website in the history section and a lot of the stories i'm talking about and the concepts i'm talking about the origin of them is written up there if anyone won't be bothered to read it but that's about a five-hour read so but in, in a way that, that, that again that, that doing that writing that website is is the process of folding up the clothes and putting them away so you're able to mm-hmm. download all that stuff from your head and you can move on to yeah. the future because you know yeah. as we say well headquarters you're only as good as your next show so all the stuff you've done may be great but your happiness exists in what you do next that's where your happiness lies you know well what a great point to end on thank you so much tom you couldn't be more welcome okay thank you so that was tom what did people think i had never heard of world headquarters and i'd never heard of tom corker but I had to heard about the Trent House, but probably not for the same reason that everybody else had, because I just thought it always looked an interesting place when I walked past it. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I didn't know what to expect, but it was the most amazing interview. He, he mm. was so tuned in to happiness. He, he almost answered the questions before you asked them. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. It, it was riveting, absolutely riveting. And the little... The phrases that he had, like money is not wealth. And, yeah. oh, yeah, I'm going to write these down. I'm going to write these down. Um, but, but I had a bit of a, a surreal experience as I was listening to it because he has a very, a very distinct way of speaking. And as he was going through and you were asking him questions and he was instantly giving responses, really good responses. I had this mental picture of a boxer and a bit like Muhammad Ali sort of thing. He had an, he had an answer and it was all worked out and he was very forceful about it. And then a bit later on in the interview, he actually talks about <laughs> a boxer in, yes. his, in his head. About Muhammad Ali, wasn't it? It's his virtual yeah. dad, yeah. 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 And I thought, I thought, this is really, really strange. Um, <laughs> so just just amazing absolutely amazing thank you for mm. that it was great yeah great thanks Kath what about you Chris yeah we'll talk about a man living life on his own terms I thought it was it was yeah. an extraordinary conversation um, particularly when he was talking about the the struggle that he's faced you know whether it was you know dealing with racism at school um, conflict with the establishment all that stuff and, and yet he's created something which is 
is really quite extraordinary. I mean, whether that's World Headquarters or um, things like the Unity Festival when he was talking about that. My, my goodness, talk about putting yourself on the line. Um, and, yeah. you know, it, it's not just about organising something. It's about, you know, taking the risk on, you know, whether that was financial or or even personal, because I, I bet there were plenty of people in Newcastle that didn't want that to go ahead for whatever reason. Um, so, it, you know, fantastic and inspiring to to kind of hear him talk about it and how, how kind of he gives himself so completely to all of it. Um, and on on his own terms, with his own rules, uh, one thing that really intrigued me while I was listening to it was he kept talking about the website for, for World Headquarters. And I thought I'd, I'd go and check that out. I really recommend people do. Because um, as a website, because web, web design is one of the things that I, I kind of deal with at work. And you go to the website and it breaks all sorts of rules for web design. It really is quite a conventional, um, but it's brilliant it, because it's not a piece of marketing. It's a piece of storytelling, uh, mm. which really kind of gets into the depth of what World Headquarters is and who, you know the, the ethos and the, the ideas behind it. Um, so yeah, you can spend hours just kind of trolling through that website. He got the sense that he'd never promoted anything in his life. He just story told. Yeah, yeah. If you see what mm. I mean. And it, it, he had he had no agenda as such in the sense of feeling the underdog or deprived or any any of those. He had no negative emotions mm. in that whole interview, and, and that was another thing that stunned me really. How yeah. how huge his heart is. Yeah. Tell you what, I really want to read his autobiography. <laughs> Write that book, Tom. <laughs> Write it before somebody else does. <laughs> got some good editors here who could help you <laughs> <laughs> I really enjoyed as well pretty much towards the start of the interview his his description of his love of DJing and mm. you know describing the the type of DJing that he does as a as a marathon Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's he's in he's in it for the long haul. Um, it's not just a quick you know thirty minutes one hour set. He's he's there and it's yeah takes real kind of energy and um, yeah drive to kind of uh, perform a set. I thought yeah his description of ha- you know the importance of music and and running those sets was really interesting for me as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, fabulous interview. I I thoroughly enjoyed talking to Tom. Um, it was a real pleasure. Uh, speaking to him so thank you Tom and thank you Chris and Kath for your your thoughts on it if you've been inspired by this podcast episode then we would love to hear from you we love hearing your stories and opinions on what happiness means to you you can get in touch via email hello at the northern guide to happiness.co.uk or you can find us on twitter at north happiness and instagram and facebook at northern happiness We're really glad to be spreading joy and happiness around the North East through this podcast, thanks to funding from the National Lottery Community Fund and the Newcastle Covid Fund. So thank you so much to our funders. I'm going to hand over to Kath now to introduce um, what we've got in store next week. Kath? Well, I've had the privilege of talking to a gentleman called Jeff Miller, and he is the Dean of Newcastle Cathedral. St Nicholas's Cathedral, which is in the process of a major, major restoration project, which is coming to an end. So in the interview, you'll hear me asking questions like this. What would you give as the definition of happiness? And Jeff giving answers like this. For me, the word happiness in Greek, not that I speak Greek or know it that well, but to be honest, but the word is is makarios. Now, those of people who are my age, that means getting older, will remember uh, Archbishop Makarios, you probably remember him, who was the Archbishop in Cyprus, because Cyprus was known as Makarios Island, Happy Island. That's literally what it means. So the, the word in Greek, happy, is Makarios. Thanks, Kath. So we've reached the end of another episode. We hope you're enjoying listening to the Northern Guide to Happiness so far. Take care and see you all again next week for another episode.